A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Come into the reading room, all you lovers of language and literature. This is the place for those of us who believe that reading is essential as we seek to rise above the ordinary. And the reading room contains a host of extraordinary people, leading lights of the written word. Authors, literary critics, columnists and ideas people will tantalize your minds with their wordplay while discussing the ideas and worldviews that form our wonderful literary milieu. Come step into a world of magic, the place of undiscovered treasures, a room of reading. We're joined today in the reading room by one of South Africa's most renowned travel writers. Yes, we've managed to get Chris Murray to stay in one place for a change, at home in Craddock. Well, it's been a while, Chris. Firstly, I just have to say it's great to see you again. The last time I saw you was exactly 30 years ago. It was at the Melville Mardi Gras. There were 100,000 people in the streets. I was singing in the Silver Creek Mountain Band. We were doing a Bob Seger song, old-time yeah. rock and roll, and you landed on the stage in the helicopter. Well, you were dropped from the helicopter onto the stage. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And I remember running around the streets frantically, not knowing where I was a lot of the time or what was going on and being stopped by people and wanting to have conversations. And I mean, that, that, is, <laughs> that was a while ago. Um, but I, I knew you from before then. I mean, you, <laughs> a while ago. You were the editor of Scope magazine, weren't you at some stage? Uh, I was the Joburg editor of Scope magazine. No, I was, the, I was the bureau chief uh, in Joburg. I worked for, uh, mainly for Dave Mullaney, the, the, the wonderful, infamous, great editor Dave Mullaney, uh, who was based in, in Durban. Mm. Um, and that's probably where I met you through the Whitfields, Peter, yes. Peter and Gail Whitfield. Indeed, that was. I mean, that, yes. and those were like really fantastic days. Um, I mean, the Scope magazine, of course, was the scourge of the the government at that stage because it was you can't put naked women in a magazine even though they weren't naked <laughs> it was it was such a lot of fun i had eight years of great fun nothing to do with with the girls just just chasing stories around hillbrow and the platelunt and the whole thing but no those days were wonderful and it was it was kind of nice to be working for an anti-establishment uh, publication in those days it gave you a sense of the edge which was good okay so now you how many books have you put out now I've lost count. This is probably number 12 or number 13. But in terms of our Karoo books, mm. we've produced five. Karoo Keepsakes 1 and 2, Road Tripper, which was a, a, a guide to the Eastern Cape Karoo, a book um, on the Platlant, on moving to the Platlant, tracking a trend of uh, people interested in coming to live out of the cities. And, um, and then this latest, um, which is basically... It's a collection of some of our favorite stories that we've done over the uh, the last 20 years of the Karoo. We've been staying here for 13 years now, but we've been covering the Karoo for 20 years, my wife, Julie, and myself. It's called Karoo Roads, and we hope it's the beginning of a series of books on the Karoo. Why specifically the Karoo? Um, I mean, there's so many other places in South Africa that, you know, you could write a book about each province or each area or each biome even. And with all the wonderful characters that you find all over the place. 
the Karoo for us is is the heartland uh, of South Africa. It's the place we've we've enjoyed working in the most. Um, it's it's the place we've invested the most time in. So, you know, it's basically what you know best is what you write about at the end of the day. Um, plus, we just like. Honest, Mel, we just like booging around the Karoo, driving long distances, meeting people in small towns. Um, there's a, a lot of eccentric types living out here that we completely resonate with and very creative. We're finding stuff out about the Karoo all the time, even though we've been here for such a long time. We're completely, I think, as, as Bridget Hilton Barber would say, we, we're quite feral these days. So we don't go to the city at all. And, you know, the Karoo has basically captured us. Okay. I mean, Bridget Hilton Barber, of course, she's up at um, Kings Walden, isn't she? Somewhere in Limpopo. Yeah. She's, she's just outside Zanin in, the, in, the, in a place called Agatha. And she's, got, she's running the family um, guest house, Kings Walden. Yes. Um, she's also... A very, very, very good writer, um, and um, you know, in her time was 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 a very good travel writer. I'm I'm hoping she'll hit the road one of these days again, but then she'll have to get some some management to take over for her. Mm. Now, okay, we're taking it back to the days when you first started. What, what did you study before you got into publishing? I went to Rhodes down the road from us here, and it was 1973. I studied journalism. I did three years of a journalism degree, finished that, uh, went on to the Pretoria News uh, as their television editor in the first year of TV, was there for quite a short time, actually just over a year, and then joined the Rand Daily Mail for about six years. Great newspaper, much lamented when it closed down, and um, from there went to Style magazine for a year and something, um, just to learn the craft of, of magazine writing. And then, then found my sweet spot at Scope magazine. That, that was really where I, I had a fantastic experience. And after that, um, 1990, I was, I was, um, offered a job editing a magazine called Living, which I turned into a magazine called Living Africa and, um, worked, uh, edited that for about eight years. Met Julie at the same publishing company. She was editing a, uh, environmental magazine. And in about 1998, we um, went freelance together. And so we've been freelancing now for 22 years. And um, this is a very quick resume. And in 2007, we left Joburg and uh, came to the Karoo, came to Craddock. And this is where we've been since. The, the publishing side of things, we began working for Strake, the old Strake, which is now Random Penguin Random House. And uh, we did some travel books for them, um, but decided when we came to the Karoo that we'd like to to publish our own books, build up our own little audience, a little group of people who like what we do, and run a small shop. Mm. Um, so we've been, uh, you'd like to say, maybe independent publishers now for, for about 10 years or so. But um, yeah, no, small shop. And uh, we like the process, the whole process of, of bookmaking. I can well imagine. I mean, I've only got one under my belt. I always said I want to be an author. I want to write a book. <laughs> okay. I didn't realize it would be a gardening one. But anyway, now taking okay. it back to that, I mean, we were, were, I know you were writing for a sister publication when I was at Garden and Home um, with Country Life. And I, mean, I think that's where so yes. many people got to know your work and absolutely love what you were writing about and living vicariously through you because so many people are sitting and going, well, we want to travel, but 
if we're going to travel, we want to go overseas, but most of them have never actually been to various places in our country. I'm fortunate enough, I think, to be have been everywhere except between Lambert's Bay and Valfus. Um, and, and I haven't been to Hrabi's. But apart from okay. that, um, people, why is there this antipathy so much of the time from people to traveling in their own country? You know, I think it goes back to the, to the old, the bad old times when people traveled overseas before, before they even uh, traveled locally. Mm. Um, and that's just a bit of a hangover from the past. But I, I think what has changed is, is, this plethora of travel magazines that came out obviously before the COVID-19, um, the getaways, the Vech, the Go, the, uh, the Platteland magazine, obviously Country Life, which is now closed, um, and, and also the television programs. So that's, that's, that's been a great push for domestic travel. We're finding a lot of people specifically now are, are showing great interest in, in heading to the, the open spaces. Uh, which we have a lot of, and um, so there's 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 a lot of interest. I think we're going to see a change a change in the in in the tourism pattern. Um, I don't know what the overseas trends are. I know we're still closed to overseas travel, but uh, the provinces are now open, and we we as I say, getting a lot of inquiries. Instead of going to the beach, people are coming to the Karoo, which is excellent. Well, I've always had this dream of moving to the crew and having bunnies, Angora bunnies and growing succulents. <laughs> that was my plan for the future when I get older. Um, I mean, the crew is just the most amazing place and driving through it. And I mean, I, I don't know why people always kind of think, oh, we'll go to New Bethesda, but then we'll go to Neisner and maybe pop into Hogsback or something. But having grown up in the Eastern Cape, um, it's, it's got a place, it's a place that's got a lot of, hold on my heart I think and all of the treasure hunt series that we did all the episodes we did down in the Eastern Cape I, I think it's one of the the nicest places with the friendliest people would you agree with me on the fact that Eastern Cape province are brilliant I love the Eastern Cape province people they 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 even speak their own language uh, which is a they'll begin a sentence in Afrikaans and they'll finish it in English and they'll throw in a little bit of Kosa as well it's there's actually a name for it it's called Khrafrikaans <laughs> and um they they're very open <laughs> lovely people um and but and the families you know the families have been here for two two hundred two hundred and fifty years um they're old dynasties um there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, intellectual capital on the farms as well um which which people don't often uh, realize um the also the other thing is that the the what used to be on the low on the totem pole of of travel was was a guest farm in the Karoo. Now that's become quite sought after, and the place the place you find these amazing guest farms is between you mentioned New Bethesda, New Bethesda and Graf Renette. That's kind of guest farm farm stay central, and people are loving it. They're coming out, they're they're bringing their families, they're reuniting with families. They've got family members living in Australia. Um, this is now before the lockdown. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the UK and that, they would meet annually on a Karoo farm. So, it, you know, it, it's, it's become a thing. The Eastern Cape people are fabulous. Um, there's, there's very few airs and graces. Um, they, they have uh, solid values. You can trade honestly with them. And, um, yeah, we've fallen in quite deeply with them. And we, you know, we can't see... 
a place for ourselves outside this area in the future. But Craddock's quite an interesting choice. I mean, very few people know about the, the place itself. Well, in, in 1985, everybody knew about Craddock. Uh, it was when the, the Craddock Four were, were taken out by the, by the apartheid regime, and it became the flashpoint of the country. Um, there is a big memorial to the Craddock Four, Matthew Goniwe and, and his uh, cohort. And um, it's, it's basic. But since then, I mean, it's basically a, a farming town. Um, it has it has a fantastic national park, ten minutes outside town. I'd love to go and see it today. In fact, with the snow, the Mountain Zebra National Park. It's, it's a stunner. You should come out and try that sometime. It's great. Um, and um, but primarily, it's a it's an agricultural town, as opposed to Grafrenet, which is a more English orientated tourism heritage. It's a little more zhuzh than we are, but. Um, this is what we call home and we love it here. A small town. I mean, I know, I know from having been here in the past, I mean, it's even smaller than Queenstown. And I mean, that, that particular area of the Eastern Cape, I mean, I know it's going through all of its troubles with um, misrun management by the council, municipalities. I mean, it's, it's one of the hotspots. And it's, it's a pity because the Eastern Cape is always the one for me which has had the most redolent, shall we say, um, history when it comes to where our people have come from in the past. Because wouldn't be more surprised if you turn around and said you were in Alibal North of all places, which a lot of people don't know about as well. They've heard the name, but they <laughs> couldn't pinpoint it on a map at any stage. Yeah. But you know, this is the nice thing about this book that we're, we're bringing out is, is we're taking very small places and doing big stories on them. You take, for instance, um, the town of, have you, have you been to Norville's Pond? I have not been to Norville's Pond. Where is that? Ah, now Norville's Pond is right next to Kharip Dam mm-hmm. on the border of the Northern Cape and the Free State. And Norville's Pond was, in about 1850 or so, a Scotsman called James Norville came up here and bought a little farm and started making hats out of wool in the 1850s, a very strange thing to do. Yes. He also he collected tortoises, tortoise shells, hopefully dead tortoises in the felt, but he made combs out of them. So he was doing this like boutique business, um, you know, while everybody else was, was being pioneers and, 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 and hunting and doing all the mega stuff. James Norman was making hats and he was making combs. And yes. then he, um, he built, he built a pond. He built a, a, a little, a little pond, which, which, which then enabled travelers to get over the Orange River from the Free State, from the, the Northern Cape into the Free State going north and, um, and started charging people. So good, clever. But then during the war, uh, the Boer War, the Anglo-Boer War, what they now call the South African War, mm-hmm. um, that, that was taken over by the British uh, and, and they built a bridge and the bridge was then blown up by the Boers. So then they... They they built a, a a bridge using rubber ducks and and pontoons and stuff like that. The, the Brits rebuilt that and later rebuilt a firm thing, but they also built a blockhouse. So the the story for me begins and oh yes, there was concentration camps all around that area, mm. and that's you know that's a very sad story, but. But just talking about the blockhouse, which was one of 8,000 blockhouses built across South Africa uh, by Kitchener. 
who who wanted to stop the movement of the Boers. And life in a blockhouse, what what was it like for these six soldiers mm. that, that used to hang out in the blockhouse? A lot of boredom and then suddenly there was action. And they 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 kept pets, they raced cockroaches, they um they did soldiers when they when they bored do strange things. And what happened was Somebody bought a blockhouse, well, bought the farm on which the blockhouse stood on the river. Mm. And he liked this blockhouse so much that he, he moved into it. He, uh, it. This is about 50 years ago. So him and his wife were the only like, so-called modern-day people to have taken over an Anglo-Boer blockhouse and turned it into a dwelling. And, you know, the story of, of – so, so via Norville's Pond, oh, there's also a, a bar. There's always a bar in these stories. Um, <laughs> the Glasgow Pont Hotel has got a bar with uh, – w- when we were there, the first time we were there, there was an electric guitar in the corner, which the owner said belonged to David Kramer. Mm-hmm. And he'd found it on a farm um, in, a, in, a, in a barn or somewhere and, and bought it from the farmer for next to nothing, cleaned it up and was waiting for David Kramer to come and, and reclaim this guitar, which he swore blind belonged to David Kramer back in his <laughs> How would have got the there? Jets days. <laughs> so he's weird stories. Who knows? Uh, Who knows half these things? But but you know, you, you, you start scratching at a, at a at an electric guitar, you ended up you end up with, with the blockhouse and, and the deep history of all the blockhouses and it's all from this little town I mean, you blink and you're through it. There's mm. hardly anybody there. But it has such a rich history. This guy that made hats and uh, out of wool and, and, and combs out of tortoise shells, you know, at, at a time when that sort of stuff wasn't happening. Um, and, you know, you, that's a great delight is finding a small place like Pitsunovater. Yeah. Most people don't think Pitsunovater exists. But it is there. It's 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 on the N10. It's just well, it's just off the N10. It's an old station. In 1986, it won best station in rural South Africa. I managed to track down the the last station master of Pitsunovata, living in Cape Town now, and we had a long chat on the phone. So you know, you you tug at these stories, and suddenly the whole thing comes alive, um, and that's the Karoo for us, you mm. know. Um, it's just you. The more time you spend here, the more you get into the layers of story, and it's just too marvelous. Well, I mean, if you think about it. Um, uh, Norval's Pont is not too far from Batuli, and of course, there was that wonderful whole thing about the boy from Batuli, and you know, I mean, it is a, an area which is just so rich in history and storytelling. Now, Patrick Patrick Maynard was the boy from Batuli when they gave him the freedom of Batuli for in exchange. They said you had to give us a performance. They gave him the, the church hall to perform in, but Patrick, who was getting the freedom of, of Batuli, had to clear the whole place out. He had to clean it up, hang the curtains again, put the chairs out, and then he performed that night. He did, uh, he did an excerpt from Boy from Batuli, and he did some of his uh, Herman Charles Bosman uh, sketches. But when he was doing the Boy from Batuli stuff, all the locals who knew him were sitting there, and they they had no shame in interjecting and and saying, <laughs> "No, Patty, it never happened like that." <laughs> you know? And that's Patrick Maynard. Yeah, no, I met we met Patrick in uh, in in Richmond many years ago, but just before he passed away, before he died, and he told us this amazing story. And we we saw him actually perform in Richmond, and I mean, in his advanced age, deep in his seventies, he gave a flawless performance. He's a great man. 
is an interesting thing finding these areas. You, you mentioned Herman Charles Bosman, and I think that for for many of of us, um, what would we call us? <laughs> uh, immigrants. Um, there's a lot of us immigrants who wanted to find out more about the country which we've made our own. Herman Charles Bosman was always the first stop to finding out more about the Africana culture. I mean, all of those stories, I've even given them to my children to read and just said, you've got to read these. These are great stories. It's a lovely way of hearing about history. And I mean, I think that what you're doing as well is also for a the current generation, let alone future generations, actually giving them a sense of where everybody came from and our place, our place in places. Oh, that's, you know, from your lips to God's ears. If that, if that was the thing that I did in life with Julie, then that's enough for me. Because firstly, to do something you love, um, to be able to, to spend every day doing something you love is the first blessing. And to leave something behind like that, oh man, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the driver for these books. But the, you know what's been so great about this, this current project is we, what we normally do is we put a book together, we go to the printer, we pay for the printing bill, and then we begin marketing the book. Mm. Um, and then we sell it via our outlets, which are small little shops around the Karoo mainly. We've got a couple, I mean, love books, Kate Rogan, you know, and that kind of thing. In and Melville, maybe yeah. Maybe Cork Bay books, but mainly in, in, yeah, mainly, mainly in the countryside we sell. And, but they've all been closed now because of, you know, the lockdown. So we were wondering, how are we going to bring this book to market? Now we have a, um, a small, uh, newsletter group. About 2,000. These are people who love the Karoo, who've read our stuff in Country Life. And this, you know, we connected with them. And we said to them, all right, we, we're making this book, which is a collection of, of our stories that, you know, a development of stories that have appeared in Country Life, have appeared in Sao Borna, British Airways, The Guardian, etc., etc., over the years. Um, and we're, we're bringing this out as an ebook. Um, if you guys want a printed version of this, then we need 500 orders. In other words, not not uh, payment. We need people just to pre-order so mm. we know, okay, if 500 people decide they want the book, then we can push the print button. And it's been three weeks, and we've got 360 already. So we're 72% along, and that's fantastic. I'm, I'm hoping to bring this book out um, in November uh, in, in time for Christmas, and uh, we're well on, on our target. But it's 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 an amazing uh, working module where you actually go to your audience and you say, this is what we're planning. Are you interested? Would you back us? And the response has been great. Yeah, well, I've actually put it up on one of my websites as one of the things to buy this year. If you buy nothing else, that is the one thing that you will Thank buy. You. <laughs> okay. I want to go back a bit to, to you saying Country Life and all the different magazines. And we know now that Goodness me, how many magazines do we actually have left in the country now? Maybe a handful. And I mean, that, that is a very sad thing because before there was television, gosh, it sounds like we're talking about like the dark ages here. My, my children always say to me, in the olden days, and I'm like, what, what do you classify as the olden <laughs> days? I'm not that old. Okay. So obviously we're saying like not just yeah, pre television, no. but style magazine that you, you, might have been involved with as well. I mean, that was for me 
my growing up magazine. There were certain magazines darling for all the young ladies that were, you know, looking into the latest fashions, um, which was also part of the Republican press stable, which Scope was part of as well. Those magazines were very much everything that formulated the way we thought and the way we saw the world. Do you think that the, the demise of your hard or not even just hard copy these days and not even putting them online do you think that that is going to be a very detrimental thing for future generations because they don't have that access they only see and believe what they hear now on social media well you know they've done some studies on if you for instance buy an ebook on a subject and you have the 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 hard copy as well the print version um you you actually take in um 35 percent less than you uh, when you read the ebook than you would if you were reading the print now this is this is worked out by educationists so mm. it's not it's not something that i can validate or anything but it's an interesting stat the magazine market was already in a little bit of trouble audiences were drifting away towards the online version of things so what happened with this this covid-19 is it just pushed certain certain publications over the brink Coming from from the old school that you mentioned, I, I sort of uh, I've got my foot in digital and I've got my foot in print. So I, I don't mind. I can I read ebooks. I, I read print books. But people, there's still a growing, well, growing, but there's still a group of people who who like paper, who like mm. to hold, who like to hold a thing, who collect stuff. Um, now this is specifically in books. Magazines are are, are more uh, ephemeral. Um, they'll hang out in a doctor's waiting room and then they disappear. Very few people keep huge piles of magazines these days. But um, yeah, look, uh, country life was great for us. Um, it was, it was. We worked for them for twenty years as freelancers. Um, it, it was, it was a respected magazine in the countryside. Um, it just didn't resonate with with the advertisers, the urban-based advertisers. So that's that's a management, that's a that's an advertising department issue. Um, so you know, because but I I know from personal experience, you know, wherever we went, people used to, wow from Country Life. Well, that's great. Come mm. in, you know, as opposed to from Scope Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Don't you dare darken your doorstep? Story. I'm putting but, the sign of the cross up at you at the moment. <laughs> Exactly. It was yeah, like that. Yeah. Scope was and the fantastic. the Rand Daily Mail. My God, the Rand Daily Mail, even worse. I was their cover yeah, girl a couple of times, yeah. yeah. Um, but but it is, for me, it's it's the death of an era. And for me, that's always a sad thing. When I mean, when the Rand Daily Mail closed, when Style closed, it was. It was like a death knell was ringing yeah. over certain parts of the industry. What I'm interested to know, though, is if – I mean, as a freelancer, you would still say, right, I'm writing to demand. Um, I have to have that story in by a specific time. So there's always that pressure on you. If you're writing for yourself, do you find yourself more or less motivated to get the story out? No, more. Because if you're writing for yourself, that means that you are actually, um, you are actually going to be paying for the publication yourself you 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 work on all the levels of of firstly creatively the 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 book has got to resonate it's got to be good um text and photographs it's also got to answer a need in the market is there a need for such a book Mm. um you know then then um actually then working the pounds and cents of of the thing out and making sure you produce a a, a product that that can earn you a living but at the same time be affordable for you by the reader um, all these kind of considerations, then you market and, you know, then you deal with the printers. It, there's, there's many levels. So you, you do, you, you do end up being more disciplined with yourself, 
um, if, if you've got skin in the game, so to speak, mm. then if you were working for a client, um, you know, we, we, you know, we, the deadline is the deadline. So if a client gives us a deadline and we can make it, then that's what we work to. Um, I, I'm very lucky to be able to work with a partner who responds to these things. And, you know, we, we complement each other in terms of our, our skill sets. Mm. So, um, yeah, but, it, but no, writing for yourself is, is even tougher. Because your 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 standards, your bar is 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 high, you know, um, and and you the last person on earth that you should be able to fool is yourself. Absolutely. Now, is it true you were born in Pilgrim's Rest? Yeah, my birth certificate says Pilgrim's Rest. I, I think it's the Sabi Hospital just outside Pilgrim's, but because I didn't see a hospital in Pilgrim's. But um, the birth certificate, I think it was the Pilgrim's Rest municipal area. But my dad was a forester. He ran a, f- a forestry station. It's interesting that you didn't end up in Mpumalanga rather than the Karoo. I mean, what, what is the difference between sort of one small space and another when it comes to writing stories? My big brother lives in Pumalanga, so he's got in Pumalanga. So I, I, <laughs> I, I must go and find my own place. <laughs> he lives in White River. Um, yeah, no, no, I, I, I just don't like, um, I'm, I'm not one for, for over, for overcrowding. I'm not one for busy roads. I'm not one for overtraded routes. I like the back roads. I find the stories there are more interesting. I've done a bit of work in the, in the, in the Mpumalanga area, the Eastern Transvaal, et cetera, et cetera, even for country life in the old days. But, uh, there's, there's far more fun out here. There's, there's, there's something marvelous with being able to just climb in a bucky, drive 200 k's in the middle of nowhere, find a bar where there's some very strange people, um, normally bikers and a, and a couple of eccentrics, and, and drive on. And uh, it, it fascinates me that people can survive out here, mm. you know, and they do. Um, all kinds of people, um, creative people, online marketers, um, um, people who run little guest houses, you know, they, you find that their level of needs drops. They, they, they don't, they don't need to spend so much money. And as a result, they can, they can eke out a nice little living here. It's very much about the lifestyle. It's not about the bucks around here. Which is a good thing to hear. One question for you. You have been all over the world. I mean, you've been literally to Timbuktu and back again, uh, Madagascar, Mongolia, some amazing places. Where have you not been that you would still like to go? I'll, I'll tell you where my favorite place. If you took me out of the Karoo, if you if you kicked me out of the Karoo, my favorite place on earth would be the city of New Orleans in the state of Louisiana in America. And my favorite place in the city of New Orleans is in the French Quarter in Bourbon Street. Mm. There's a bar there called the Old Absinthe House Bar. Now, what's happened is because of COVID-19, this bar has been going since about 1740. Um, in the, with this COVID-19 and social distancing and everything, they've, they've taken the courtyard leading next to the, the actual bar, which is on the corner of, 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 of Bourbon Street and another street, and they've, um, they've turned that into an absinthe lounge. Um, and I've just discovered that. Um, I've got... I get the old Absinthe House newsletter. That's mm. the amazing thing about digital these days is you can keep in touch with things from your youth. And um, I'm dying to go and have a look at that place, to go and sit there and, and, and 
drink a little bit of absinthe and um and you know just 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 that that was that was my favorite little watering hole in the french quarter it was it was absolutely fantastic i lived there for you know in that town for not a long time about six months or so but and i had to get out because it really sure the liver <laughs> takes a pound in that town <laughs> but absinthe is like eating malpita. But the music is great. <laughs> oh, I'm sure the music fantastic. But you could really... <laughs> it's malpita. <laughs> malpita, yeah. You could is. fry your brain on absinthe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. It. Yeah, it's exactly okay. it. Uh, All right. So you, you're bringing yeah. up... The, where can people get hold of copies of your books and, and buy into it so that they can actually get it at the end of the year when you've got enough people and you're going to publish? Well, if they've got a pen handy, then they must just write down this email address. Julie at CaruSpace.co.za. And they must just say, Hi, I'm interested in the book. And then Julie sends them the information. The price is 350 Rand. That includes tax and postnet counter to counter service. So that's it, 350. Uh, if you order more than one, you know, it's it's obviously less because it goes in the same postnet um, package. Yeah, the book will be on sale eventually when the shops, when more shops open up, as as they currently are in the Karoo. You know, Patstala and little shops of interest where 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 travellers go mm. and that kind of thing. Um, but at the moment, we're we're working on the individual orders um, because it's all about the first edition, the signed book, the numbered book, and that kind of thing. Um, and and also these are the people that are backing us right now with the with the print bill. So um, yeah, get get that email in. And if if you if by some reason you don't have a pen handy right now, just go onto Facebook Carew Space, and we're there. All the links are there. Everything. Put me down for three copies. Three copies, no, and I, but I want will. number thirty-two. Three copies. <laughs> I like the number 32. The other two don't matter, but the 32. Why 32? Why um, not 42? Because, well, because that's the answer to the meaning of life, and I haven't quite gotten there yet. So 32, I'm working my way up. What can I say? <laughs> and okay. Well. Where, where's the next big adventure going to be to, Chris? What is the next book? I mean, I know you haven't even brought this one up, but I'm always interested to know what the next one will be in planning. Is it going to be another Karoo book, or are you going to look at a different area? Karoo, just Karoo. And so the next book, this is the beautiful part. The next book depends on the readers. The readers will guide me and Julie. The readers will tell us what they loved about this book because they're getting 24 little vintage stories here from some from a long time ago. I'll give you some examples of what's in this book and more to follow. There's ghost stories from the Karoo. We have ghosts here that are amazing. A meeting with David Rawdon, the late David Rawdon, mm. the, the, the Laird of Mikey's Fontaine. There's a special Nama Real dance that people have done, uh, the youngsters in the township at Prince Albert, for their heroes, a guy called Ota Lapis, the legend of Ota Lapis. There's a rock and roll bar on Route 62 that everyone must know about. I do know about it. Yeah, you know about it. I know about it. I've done Route 62. <laughs> There's the Karoo Theatrical Hotel outside uh, State Level, the history of the, the most amazing place. No, there's so much. There's one of the latest stories we've done is a very enterprising little team of sisters from outside Crawford have taken over the family farm and turned it into a dude ranch. Cowgirls. We have cowgirls in the Karoo, finally. And boy, they're good-looking cowgirls. So, yeah. <laughs> 
we got the bases covered. There's a, a great story on Nelsport where they have these Bushman etchings. The, uh, Nelsport is a place just north of Beaufort West. Ancient Bushman etchings. And the street kids of Beaufort West, a bunch of them have moved to Nelsport and are actually guides around there. They're former street kids that are at a boarding school in mm-hmm. Nelsport. They go out into the felt with the guests and they take the people out. They show them the ancient... And there's this lovely tie-up because they, their blood is, is, is Nama Bushman blood. So mm. that's the connection. The Rastafarian community of Calfinia, you know, the beautiful thing about being a feature, an interested media person in this country is you have carte blanche to all these communities. We have so many different communities in this country. And once, once you get over your prejudices and your fears and stuff like that and just chill, you you will I mean you you don't need to go to Mongolia or New Orleans or anywhere. This this country's got it. Certainly got it. Okay, one last question for you. I'm an avid road tripper. I mm. often just throw my kids in the car and we'll go on a five and a half thousand kilometer magical mystery tour wherever the wind blows us. What would be the ultimate road trip that you would say to people that you would have to take around our country to see the best of it? Not just through the Karoo, obviously. You would have to go on a series of road trips. One road trip would be a tiring thing. I've done that. We did a book on the coastline of South Africa. We spent four months just driving the coastline from Alexander Bay to Cozy Bay, 3,000 Ks. Uh, very tiring. It's a big country. A Karoo, a Karoo road trip would be through Route 63. Um, not Route 62, Route 63 through the quiet hearts of South Africa. It's, it's the most magical. The road is beautiful. You, if you come across... Five cars in a thousand Ks, it's a lot. Um, it's actually like Elof Street traffic. There's that. I, I, I would, I would recommend going up north to the Richtersfeld. Right now, for instance, the flowers in Namaquiland are apparently stunning. Mm. If I didn't have deadlines to work to right now with this book and stuff like that, Jules and I would be in the Bucky and off to, uh, Nivotville in, in two ticks. Apparently it's looking very beautiful. Mm. Up to Springbok, in fact. I would, I would do that. The Richtersfeld. Um, I would, I would travel the Northern Cape. The Northern Cape is a good province to, to do a fair amount of long distance. If you want to get some serious road trip going with not too many people around you, um, the Northern Cape is, is, is the place, I think. Um, the Eastern Cape, we have a, we have a very good 10 day road trip that you can do here around the 14 towns of the, of the, what we call the Eastern, yeah, the Karoo Heartland. Um, that, that is also very good. And there I would recommend staying on farms, mostly mm. staying on farms. Um, apart from when you get to Craddock, you stay at the Taste Hazel with the Antrobus family. But, uh, yeah, no, there's, there's a series of road trips, um, that one does. You, uh, if, if you want, how, how old are your kids? 17. 17. So they've gotten past the stage of, are we there yet? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you could, you could take them on a, a, a journey of discovery. I mean, as long as there's, as, as there's stuff to do. What we, what we do, for instance, you take with the flowers. When we, when we go and do the flowers, uh, the trip we suggest is to go to a place, Calfinia, to find yourself, and there's many of them, a, a, a Karoo house. And you book a Karoo house out for, for a week. Mm. And from there, you do day trips. You go up to Luris Fontaine. You go to, um, to, to Nivotville. You go to the coast to, to, uh, to have a drink at Friars Cove at Dwaringbai. You, you go down to the Tankwa Patstal on the R355. That's where, where all the, the Africa burners hang out. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and you go to Williston. Uh, you know, there, so it's, you make a base and then you do day trips from that. Oh, there's, there's a million options. And it's, it's so nice talking about all this road tripping. I, I feel like heading off now. I, th- I think I, I'm also feeling that urge now that we're allowed to travel across provinces just to get into a vehicle and head. I mean, as I said, I haven't been to the Richtersfeld. I haven't been to Okhrabi's. I haven't been to Springbok. It's absolutely ridiculous. I think that's going to be definitely my next one. Take a little river cruise down the Orange and go and check it all out. And may I suggest on that particular trip that you go to Port Nolith as well. It's, it's, it's just on from uh, Springbok. Um, that's, that's where they have the diamond diving. There's a lot of cow. It's a cowboy town, um, and it's really, it's, it's really worth a visit if you're in that area. I have every intention of being in that area. Anyway, so we're going to push your book. We want um, people to buy into finding out about the history of South Africa instead of thinking and looking to the West and to America and all of their nonsense that goes on. I think it's time for us to reclaim our heritage, um, regardless of where you come from in South Africa or if you are a naturalized citizen. Chris Maria, it's always been absolutely wonderful listening to, or should I say listening to, reading your work over the years. And long may it continue. Thank you, Mel. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.